This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, January 31st. I'm Virginia Allen. Today, Tyler O'Neill is sitting down with Father Paul Sullins. Father Sullins serves as Senior Research Associate in the Ruth Institute and is a former sociology professor at Catholic University. They discuss his research into sexual orientation change efforts. Sullins analyzed the best data on how people who identify as homosexual have fared after undergoing therapies to address psychological issues that might underline their same-sex attraction. While many U.S. states and health organizations claim that these efforts, as they have branded conversion therapy, increase the risk of suicide, Sullins found the exact opposite. LGB people who took part in this therapy were actually less likely to have suicidal thoughts afterwards. This finding turned the literature on its head and suggests that therapy to resolve issues underlying same-sex attraction may help LGB people, even if such therapy does not lead them to reject homosexuality. Stay tuned for Tyler's conversation with Father Paul Sullins after this. We're all guilty of it, spending too much time on the Internet watching silly videos. But it's the 21st century, and maybe it's time for a change. At the Heritage Foundation YouTube channel, you'll find videos that both entertain and educate, including virtual events featuring the biggest names in American politics, original explainers and documentaries, and heritage experts diving deep on topics like election integrity, China, and other threats to our democracy, all brought to you by the nation's most broadly supported Public Policy Research Institute. Start watching now at heritage.org slash YouTube. And don't forget to subscribe and share. This is Tyler O'Neill, a managing editor at The Daily Signal. I am uh, honored to be joined by Father Paul Sullins. He is the senior research associate at the Ruth Institute, which is a uh, nonprofit dedicated to helping the victims of the sexual revolution. Father Paul, it's great to have you with us. It's great to be here with you, Tyler. So you wrote, I just want to jump right into it. You wrote a really great study, and I want to unpack it because Mm -hmm. I, I went over it. I'm very... You know, very positive about your your basic conclusion, but I also am not sure how much we can rely on the data to begin with. Oh. So you wrote a story, or you you analyzed many scientific research papers and came to the conclusion that the evidence that many people use to oppose uh, what's called sexual orientation change efforts, or mm-hmm. SOCI, or SOCI, mm-hmm. as you say, it, that that is harmful for people who identify as LGBT, that they're likely to commit suicide if they're put through this. Opponents brand it conversion therapy. They've been doing this for a while. That's a that's a bad term because it associates, you know, the only thing that happens these days is mainstream patient-directed talk therapy where the individual in the driver's seat is the patient, whereas conversion therapy has two connotations, right? It's the shock therapy and it's the person being forced against their will to undergo treatments to supposedly change their sexual orientation. Really what what the therapies that are most successful do, they tend to address it as let's look at the underlying conditions. Let's see if someone was abused as a child. Let's see these things and let's address that. And then it may have an impact if the person has unwanted same-sex attraction or unwanted gender dysphoria. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
Can you break down, I guess, so, so that's basically what SOCI is, mm-hmm. where, you know, you went through all of this data yeah. and kind of shot right at the heart against this argument. Yeah, and the, I'd love you to unpack The LGBT advocacy network came up with the term SOCI because it doesn't include therapy. Uh, and so they, they actually wanted to switch from conversion therapy because their premise is that there is nothing at all wrong with being attracted to someone of the same sex and living in a homosexual relationship. And so if you call it therapy, it implies that you're curing something. And they're very offended by the idea that some same-sex attracted person might want to be made better or cured or fixed or changed to opposite-sex attraction. Uh, And so they're vehemently against uh, these kinds of efforts It uh, violates their conviction that a person who has same-sex attractions is born that way and can't change. And so it's it's a point of contention, deep contention uh, around the world. The United Nations has branded conversion therapy a form of torture uh, and and has called for its elimination worldwide. Uh, now, when I say the United Nations, someone who knows this topic is going to say, no, the U.N. hasn't done that. It's just the U.N. staff that's usurping the U.N. <laughs> right. uh, privileges and prerogatives. About 20 states in the United States have imposed some sort of restriction uh, on therapy to change same-sex attraction. Uh, so there's a large movement against it. Major uh, scholarly organizations have pronounced against it. Now, when the, the American Psychological Association studied the topic in 2009, they came up to the edge of calling for a ban, but they held back and didn't do it. The reason was that the evidence was not conclusive as to whether, A, persons could or could not actually change same sexual orientation, and B, whether or not it really was harmful. There was a lot of what they called mixed evidence on both sides. And so since 2009, however, there has been a concerted effort to provide that missing evidence. And so there have been about 20 studies of SOCI, Uh, looking at uh, different ways that it might be harmful. Four of those studies have used uh, superior data, population-referenced data sets. Uh, And the strongest of those studies was published in 2020 by John Blosnick and collaborators. Uh, It used really excellent data. They commissioned the uh, Gallup organization uh, to include questions in their daily phone surveys. Um, They called uh, over a third of a million Americans to screen in about 3,000 persons who identified as LGB. Uh, And then uh, from that, they got about 1,500 usable interviews. That's a huge sample for this population. Uh, It's very um, precise data on this particular question. With that data, they correlated the amount of suicide ideation, thinking about suicide and uh, other suicidal behavior. So there's making a plan to commit suicide, and then there's suicide attempts. And they correlated those with whether a person had ever been to SOCI and found that persons who had been to SOCI uh, had uh, over twice the rate of suicidal thoughts and uh, 1.7 times as likely to um, attempt suicide. And they published this. On the basis of this, calls for uh, banning SOCI were uh, moved forward, and uh, and we got into the situation we're in today. I looked at the data. They, 
I don't know, made the mistake or they did the great thing that they should have done by publishing the data, putting it on a public repository. So I got the data and looked at it, and I found that they had ignored one very crucial question, which was, when did you think about suicide or when did you (laughs) attempt suicide? Uh, Now, they already had questions about when uh, they went to SOCI. Actually, it was only when the SOCI ended, so we have to infer how long it uh, happened. And uh, and so I used those questions to find out whether the suicide activity happened before or after the person went to SOCI. And what I found, to, somewhat to my surprise, was that most of the suicidal behavior happened before the person ever went to SOCI. Two-thirds of the thoughts of suicide happened before they ever went to SOCI. Now, you know, it's logical that if someone uh, engages in a behavior and then goes through an experience later, that that experience could not have caused that pre existing behavior. Uh, Things don't work backward in the space-time continuum. We've known this since Aristotle. Uh, But in the studies, uh, they claim that Soci encouraged and and caused people to have suicidal behaviors because uh, someone had been to Soci and then they expressed these behaviors. So I published a, a firm rebuttal to that study, finding not only did Soci not increase suicidal behavior, it decreased it. If you compare the amount of suicidality someone has after coming out of SOCI to someone uh, also LGB who has never been to SOCI or a person who's been to SOCI has much less. They're much less likely to commit suicide or to think about suicide or attempt suicide following SOCI. Uh, so I published that. Uh, it took two years for it to come out because there was resistance to publishing it. The journal that they published in wouldn't give the time of day to my study. So I had to go look for another journal and uh, so forth. And, and um, so it was published in uh, 2022 in September. Uh, there were almost immediate calls for it to be retracted. There was a fierce pushback from a lot of the prominent gay scholars. Um, and so I was in a debate uh, for the next year responding to a lot of the issues that they raised. They raised some good issues with the study that that uh, may have affected the findings but didn't. Uh, and um, they uh, it ran the gamut to uh, calling for its retraction, even if my study was true. Uh, they claimed it was unethical to publish it because it implied that somehow people needed to be fixed uh, and it would impede the cause of, of gay rights. Well, um, that's that's the story. But what, we, what we're left with is a situation where we're being fed a lie that somehow attempting to change sexual orientation uh, is going to uh, fail all the time and it's going to cause harm. And the truth is just the opposite. Uh, I've done other studies that show that when people attempt to change sexual orientation, it is uh, fully successful uh, in my studies about 17 to 20 percent of the time. So it's not a high rate of you know going from full homosexual commitment or activity to full heterosexual commitment or activity, but it can be right. done. And those that don't change all the way change uh, to some extent. And so most persons who undergo it meaning about 60 to 65 percent, report that they are less caught up in uh, homosexual attractions and behaviors and activity, uh, and they're more able to be caught up in heterosexual attractions and behaviors and activities. Well, your study also doesn't prove that people need to be fixed. No. It merely demonstrates that this claim of Mm -hmm. suicidality 
isn't borne out in the evidence. Right. It isn't showing that all LGB people need to be put through SOCI. It is showing that of those who have gone through it, right. they're less likely to commit suicide. Right. If someone is uh, living a gay lifestyle and is untroubled by that and happy with that, uh, I don't recommend that they try to go to therapy to change that um, unless, you know, there's, there's something that troubles them about that. Now, on this same survey, which is a random sample of the American population of lesbian, gay, and bisexual identifying individuals, uh, about 30% of them report that they have tried to change their sexual orientation at some point in the past. And about 10% of them say, if I could become completely heterosexual, I would want to do that. So there is a minority of the gay population who wants to change, is is not happy uh, with uh, living the way that they're living, uh, however you want to say that, uh, and wants to change. And so those are the ones who ought to have the option for counseling and therapy uh, if they want it. I wouldn't at all suggest that someone who is not troubled by that uh, should somehow uh, try to be changed or or try to change themselves. Those are personal decisions that I think everyone should be free to make. When among those roughly 20 percent who are successful in, you know, and and the odd thing is you're talking about changing a behavior, right? And so Mm -hmm. like the the underlying attraction, you know, and, and in a Christian context, there is no inherent sinfulness of the underlying attraction. Right. But encouraging it, acting on it, right. that is where the sin enters. Right. And so, you know, heterosexual people are just as, you know, just as depraved in a in uh, a sense absolutely. You know, sinful, inclined towards sinful desires that need to be, you know, held back. Pornography addiction is a much more common problem uh, and just as serious a problem for uh, young men. Uh, as is um, uh, same-sex attraction. Um, both of them are, are inclinations towards sinful behavior, but, uh, and both of them uh, should be susceptible to help and to resources. One of the things that's often misunderstood about same-sex attraction is that there's not a scale uh, where someone is homosexually attracted on one end and then on the other end heteros- heterosexually attracted and then People are ranged in between, like bisexuals would be in between. We get that idea because of uh, the work of Kinsey, uh, who created this thing called the Kinsey Scale and ranged people that way. But um, subsequent work that asks different questions has discovered that what we really have are same-sex attractions and opposite-sex attractions that coexist in most people. So if uh, if you measure those things separately... You'll find that across the range of human variation, there are a number of people who have moderate to high levels of same-sex attraction and moderate to high levels of opposite-sex attraction that coexist. Our sexual attractions you know, are very variable and can be oriented to lots of different things and often towards specific persons or persons that we've interacted with that become typical and kind of pegs for us to think about that entire sex. So what often happens when persons go through SOCI or attempt to what we call change their sexual orientation is that not so much that the same-sex attractions diminish. That can happen, but it's much more common that those don't diminish or diminish very much, but the opposite-sex attractions become more salient. 
Uh, mm. And a person is able then to live more out of their opposite sex attracted side, we might say, than the same sex attracted side. Now, a lot of people who go to SOCI and are successful uh, do so for one of two reasons. One, they are uh, deeply committed to a religious faith that makes same-sex behavior problematic. Uh, And Christianity, uh, evangelical Christianity and Catholicism, Mormon uh, faith says those are sinful behaviors that draw you away from a relationship with God. So if you really want to know God, you have to leave those behaviors behind. And then the other uh, motivation is that they're in a long-term relationship, often a marriage, to someone of the opposite sex whom they love and they want to make that marriage work. And so they work on developing uh, an increasing attraction to that person, which often also involves attractions more generally to persons of the of the opposite sex. Well, I think a lot of your critics and critics of the idea that it is possible to change your sexual orientation is you describe it's a lot mm-hmm. more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they often assume that there isn't this group of people, you know, ex-gay right. people, those who formerly lived out or identified or however. I I almost think of it as as like a Calvinist, you know, if they if they ever left, they were never really gay to begin with, right? right? That's what they um, say. And right. and and that's I don't think that's a helpful category, but it also no. I think confounds data. So you're mm-hmm. talking about two sets of data. You've referenced to me the the block mm-hmm. study, which was great, but of course only spoke to people who, at the time of the study, identified as LGB, and therefore it missed anyone for whom SOCI efforts right. were successful. Right. And then your other efforts studying the amount of people who struggle with their same sex attraction, right, and. 20% of whom later say or, you know, live out a heterosexual lifestyle, 60% of whom you say um, have, you know, moved in a, a direction that they themselves would describe as positive right. um, in addressing unwanted. That they don't always uh, change their identification. They may, stay, they may say, well, I'm still homosexual, but I engage in – I live in a heterosexual relationship uh, and I engage in that. It's never – been I shouldn't say never, but it's almost never been uh, totally exclusive. So mm-hmm. most persons um, who uh, identify as homosexual uh, can and have, in the past at least, uh, engaged in heterosexual relations. Uh, I have studied uh, the children of same-sex couples for for a long time, and over, just over half of those children today are the biological child of one of those two partners. So that person must have been able to function heterosexually at some point (laughs) uh, just by simple logic. And um, so, you know, we have these uh, this this variety and mix of attractions um, and and identifications. Now, you mentioned the ex-gays who are really the hidden part of this whole uh, discussion. They're the ones that are really in the closet, you might say, yes. uh, today. Uh, and you're right that um, when someone who uh, was formerly presumed to be heterosexual or thought of themselves as heterosexual, and then they say, oh, you know what? Maybe I'm homosexual. They get welcomed and they say, well, you're discovering who you really are. There's this ontological 
uh, contribution to them. And then if they ever leave that, they say, oh, now you're denying who you really are. Uh, <laughs> who we really are is who God has made us to be and with freedom and choice in that. I just finished a study of the British population uh, looking at how many persons uh, have a history of same-sex relations but don't do that anymore. Now engage only in heterosexual relations or mostly in heterosexual relations. And in the British population, there are more persons who have left homosexual life than there are who persist in it. Uh, it's only slightly more, uh, but it is more. So you can say that there are more ex-gays than there actually are gays in that population, but you never hear about the ex-gays. Uh, it's not politically correct. It's not popular. It, it can, in Britain, you know, you, you can get, uh, it can be criminalized in some ways uh, if you say something that is um, against the uh, homosexual orthodoxy. Uh, and so they, they stay hidden and stay out of sight. But we looked at the uh, National Survey of Sexual Attitudes and Lifestyles in Great Britain. They have these great uh, population surveys they do. One of the benefits of a national health service. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah. they're able to um, measure a person's uh, attractions uh, and uh, their, their reported um, sexual behavior. And so we're able to get a good um, read on how those things are changing. This is so common, in fact, that uh, some of the um, gay activist scholars have published articles arguing that the gay uh, activist community should stop claiming that uh, homosexuality is innate and is immutable. Um, because it's not true, and when it's shown not to be true, it's going to weaken the legal arguments for class privileges and class standing. Uh, they haven't gone down that road yet, but it's a measure uh, of how strong the evidence is. Uh, in the United States, we have three or four population surveys, all of whom show that uh, if, the, if they measure longitudinally, so at time A, the first measure, person identifies as homosexual and reports that they have only homosexual sex, if by time B, if time B is five or more years later than time A, most of those in the first measure now engage in some level of heterosexual sex and a large proportion no longer identify as homosexual. And then if you mm -hmm. continue it out through a third measure, it's even more. So this idea that there's this homosexual reality or ontology doesn't work out even in practice. It, dis it starts disappearing. It's evanescent almost as soon as someone uh, identifies it. We see we, this is easy to see in some populations. For example, persons uh, tend to engage in homosexual activity or identify as homosexual when there's a restriction on availability of persons of the opposite, of the opposite sex. sex. As in so China presently yes. with the larger male population. E exactly. And in prison populations and we know in um, college colleges where um, you know a lot of young women don't feel that they have access to to acceptable group of men, particularly as colleges become more and more female. So you have the, they say, well, I'm going to be a lesbian uh, until graduation, and then I'm going to reenter the, the, <laughs> the, the dating uh, heterosexual <laughs> uh, marketplace. So uh, it, it is something that people can change. Young persons today 
when they do surveys uh, to ask about sexual orientation, the most common response today is uh, mostly heterosexual. Uh, so I'm not committing to being completely heterosexual. I might <laughs> experiment. But they also don't want to be categorized or pegged as, as something else, as bisexual or as, as homosexual. They're not an uh, alphabet soup person. Yeah. So they're saying, you know, I, I want to be free. I, I want to explore who I am and explore my alternatives. I don't want to be pushed into these particular uh, political or social categories. Well, and that, that's these phenomena help explain because when I was looking at your study, and I mean, I resonate with, I really appreciate it. I think it's very important. I also think that there's so much confounding these data that like – so what we have here is all we have from the block study is evidence and, of course, your reanalysis of the block study showing that any SOCI efforts usually came after thoughts of suicidality, right. not before, and even suicide attempts. Um, but what we don't have in the block study or in many studies in general is an analysis of this quote-unquote ex-gay population, these people right. who move slowly away from homosexuality. And I think that that really weakens the data because I, I suspect that the effectiveness of SOCI or of you know other efforts – you know, in Australia, there's a state in Victoria and, and I right. know you know about this because right. Jennifer Morse wrote mm -hmm. about it with the Ruth Institute. But they have a ban on prayer. Right. And it's not clear how they're going to enforce this. <laughs> but they've said that if you pray, even not in the presence of an LGBT person, but if you pray for an individual person, right. that they would be able to overcome right, same-sex right, right. attraction, right, right, right. that this constitutes a harm and against the law <laughs> in <know>. Victoria, Australia. <laughs> and I'm sitting here. I'm like, either you guys believe in the power of prayer more than most Christians oh, good point. or <laughs> right. you are just – going so far overboard in this and, and proving that, you know, this ideology is essentially an alternate religion. But I just – I struggle because I'm like when we're talking about these issues, you know, the Southern Poverty Law Center had this humongous thing where they said, oh, they're pushing pseudoscience. Mm -hmm. Everybody who opposes the transgender agenda is pushing pseudoscience. And it is not true that there are any de such thing as detransitioners or like right. all these things. Right. And, you know, there's so many ways the argument falls apart. But the SPLC is a political weapon of the left and right. an ideological weapon. So they're right. trying to silence any opposition mm -hmm. to this. And they were very mm -hmm. successful um, against a, a Jewish organization in New Jersey that they got shut down for violating uh, violating bans Jonah. on yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, but so what we see is this weaponization of the very idea of something like Soci, mm -hmm. and even something like prayer that somebody would change, even if it's well intentioned and even if it aligns with that person's own desire. And yet all of that is militating against any sort of accurate reporting or any sort of knowledge because they make these claims that scientifically, oh, conversion therapy never works and it's evil and it's always harmful. And it's like, one, it's not conversion therapy. Two, you have no idea because even your best studies that may be good and, and have a lot of data, they don't analyze the people for whom – SOCI is intended to capture and help. So is there a way that we can address these failings of data? Is there a way? Yeah. Well, it's a difficult problem. Uh, a lot of the uh, studies of SOCI um, are 
uh, I don't want to say fraudulent, but they are certainly so biased, and there's there's so much mischief that's going on in the study, mm. uh, you can't really believe their findings. Uh, and it's not just with this uh, topic. We've seen this uh, for decades in uh, research on abortion, where you get uh, so-called abortion research from the pro-abort side, which is scientifically uh, so weak as as to not really constitute science at all, but it's lauded as if it's the latest word. And you get uh, then the corruption of elite scientific organizations that come out with pronouncements and statements and consensus statements. Uh, you know, now I'm thinking of climate change, uh, where you see this go on as well. And I, I don't have any particular opinion on climate change. I don't know that I trust the organizations that pronounce that the, the debate is over. We've discovered these things. Um, and we saw this during COVID, where oh, yeah. uh, uh, research that did not go along with the elite prevailing methodology uh, was suppressed. Uh, so it's true today that if you want to publish a study uh, let's say, of X gays in an American journal, it's almost impossible because it um, goes against the idea uh, that uh, someone uh, is, when they're gay, that's okay and they shouldn't change. Uh, the word for that uh, is heteronormative, uh, and they have <laughs> committees that exclude heteronormative research. Uh, so it's very difficult to, to uh, get past that. It can be done. Uh, but it's uh, it takes work to do. In response that's to ironic. my that's that's homo normative, and it's also uh, it's also treating the, these people's very existence as if it were you know a solipsism against the grammar of being or a, well, it's a know. corruption of science itself. One of the um, responses to my study listed all of the organizations that the authors could find who had come out with statements. Uh, against SOCI and how terrible it was and how it should be banned. There were, I think, over 50 organizations worldwide that were listed, all the elite scientific organizations and so on. And uh, my response was that uh, to cite those organizations in a response to my scientific study was a <laughs> corruption of the scientific process. Yeah. If those are really scientific organizations... Their resolutions should be downstream from the research evidence. It should not be cited in an attempt to change it, to influence what we do in research. And so somehow we have to get back to real evidence, to the basic uh, data and arguments that give us the freedom of science. If we don't do that, we have a world of fake science uh, just like we have a world of fake media in other ways, the, the answer is not to become polarized where we have the left-wing science and we have the right-wing science, but it's to, be, to enter a world where we don't impose political tests on scientific studies, but we just let the evidence uh, stand out there and be what it is. Now, I'm a Catholic priest, and sometimes people re will respond to my research by saying, well, don't you feel pressure to, to uh, <laughs> come out with research, research conclusions that support the Catholic faith, and, and aren't you yeah. subject to a kind of bias because you're committed to this worldview? And my response is to say I am committed to a worldview, and the worldview that's strongly embedded in the Catholic faith, which uh, invented in some ways modern science, is to seek and to declare the truth, whatever it says, wherever it comes from, 
uh, we believe that faith and reason cannot be incompatible. But we also believe that they can often seem to be incompatible. (laughs) And when we come up with things that seem to be contradictory, we should publish those and make them known and celebrate those because it's only by exploring those anomalies and inconsistencies that we can come to a better understanding of of faith and, and of reason both. And so that's what I try to do. I've come up with findings that conservatives are not happy about. Uh, I found that um, children with same-sex parents, for example, uh, tend to have better grades in school on average. Wow. Uh, that there's some advantages um, to that. I have thought of some reasons for that, but— Does it matter which sex? Uh, almost all the children with same-sex parents that we study are with lesbian parents, Okay, uh, more than 90%. And so uh, one of the misnomers is that uh, when uh, you read a study and it concludes, well, children do well with same-sex parents. What it's saying <laughs> is children do well with lesbian, lesbian parents. parents. We don't know right. much about how they do with right. gay male parents. Um, but when I first published that finding, I got some pushback from conservatives saying, how can you say that now? It makes it harder for us to argue well, for this or that. that aligns with the, the boy crisis, the idea that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and if you're raised with lesbian parents, mm-hmm. you tend to do better in a generally female – well, I mean, not to say that all elementary schools are female-dominated, <laughs> but, you know, what what they found is that correl- correlative-wise – Women, uh, girls tend to do better in early schooling. and Right, but they do better. Children all across the board do better when there's a father in the household. Right. And so here you have families well, especially where there's, long-term. there's no father in the household, and yet the children are doing better. How do you explain mm-hmm. that? So I've thought about this for a long time. Looked at some other evidence that has come out from the Scandinavian countries. Which, which confirm these same findings. What I think is going on, the Scandinavian evidence showed that children who grow up from birth with lesbian parents do even better than those who enter into that relationship later on, hmm. uh, like from a former relationship or through adoption. And what we know now, I didn't know then, is that the large majority of children who enter into res- uh, lesbian relationships from birth are the products of donor conception. And so if you look at what goes on in donor conception, parents have certain things that they look for, certain parameters that they select for in that donor. And one of those very strongly is intelligence. Uh, In fact, the donor agencies advertise and they charge more for uh, uh, donor sperm from persons with higher degrees and PhDs uh, because parents want that. And so what I think is happening is that these lesbian mothers who are uh, good parents in lots of ways and uh, very intelligent themselves, they say, well, we're going to select for more intelligence, of course. Uh, And so what you have is not a random population uh, like you'd get in the heterosexual population, uh, you know. Unfortunately, those of us who are normally conceived, we just take the luck of the draw, right? Uh, And you compare that with persons who are selected for intelligence. Yeah, they're going to do somewhat better in school uh, as a result of that. Yeah. Well, I want to touch on one more thing and then we should probably go. But you mentioned briefly that the struggles with coming to accurate conclusions scientifically on this kind of correlate and echo many of the struggles we had we saw during covid yeah. where there was this top down decision where we're right. saying look there are things that do not work and don't you dare question and even if you're a doctor even if you're a right. scientist we're going to suppress you can you talk a little bit more about how 
the responses to and I mean LGB in particular has been the bulk of our discussion. Transgender, mm-hmm. I think, also falls into this. Yeah. Um, echo that sort of suppression that we're trying to get to the truth against a stacked odds. Yeah. It's it's a terrible struggle. It's as if there's a certain set of ideas that you're allowed to think. And if you go outside that set, there are these strong forces that want to not allow you to be heard uh, that want to want to shut down any discussion that might uh, challenge that. In a way, I find it an encouragement and a compliment when a study of mine is being suppressed because if they had an argument against what I was publishing, if they found a flaw in it, they would make that known. Yeah. It, but the fact that they don't do that, instead they want to... Um, suppress citations, you know, as you can do in the scholarly world, or they want to uh, make sure it doesn't get published in journals that are read more widely. Uh, you know, I recently uh, gave a lecture where uh, just the afternoon that I was to speak, the venue canceled it and said, no, we're not going to sponsor this. Uh, so they had to search for another venue. Uh, when they cancel like that, it says to me that they don't really have an argument on the other side. They want to control us by censorship by controlling the way that we think. Well, as an American, <laughs> I don't take well to that kind of control. <laughs> Amen I, to that. It, it rubs me the wrong way. And I say, well, I'm going to do ev- work even harder to think thoughts that you don't want me to think <laughs> and, and get them out there as best I can. Because well, we really need to have a debate. <laughs> and it's not necessarily that I think that I'm right and they're wrong. It's that if yeah. we're really going to address the problems that face us as human beings, we have to be able to talk about all sides of it. We have to mm-hmm. be able to argue and debate and dispute. That's where freedom and, and democracy and the truth in some ways comes from. Now, the LGBT side will say to us, uh, well, the Old Testament is condemning of homosexuality, but look at Jesus. He was kind. He was loving. He was open. Uh, and actually, if you read the Bible, that's not true. Jesus debated a lot. Uh, he he called his um, enemies uh, foxes and whited sepulchers, and when they Dogs. tried to pin him down with uh, gotcha questions— uh, he handled those very well. And then he had a few gotcha questions of his own for them. Uh, so uh, Jesus leaned into uh, debate and dispute. Uh, he didn't uh, just say, oh, it's this is too loving. We're just going to paper everything over with this kind of uh, oatmeal of, of uh, niceness. Uh, we are going to seek the truth uh, and go for it. And that's really what we need to do across the board. Yeah. Amen. Well, Father Paul Sullins, is there anything more you'd like to add? Where can people follow you? Uh, People can go to the website of the Ruth Institute, which has uh, several really good resource pages uh, on my work and on uh, counseling freedom for all, as we're calling it. And then um, you can reach me uh, also via Catholic University, the Department of Sociology, where I'm a research professor, semi-retired. I don't mind if people uh, look up my email address and email me. With questions too. I'll be happy to send copies of my studies or respond to questions. Wonderful. Thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you. 
And with that, that's going to do it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us here on the Daily Signal podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button so that you never miss out on our new shows, like our evening top news editions. Every weekday, we bring you the top news of the day. These are the headlines that you need to know to stay informed on the news of the day. Thanks again for being with us today. Have a great rest of your Wednesday. We will see you right back here this afternoon for our top news edition. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. Executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Samantha Asheris. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Guiney, and John Pop. To learn more, please visit DailySignal.com.